The Democrats may boycott Starbucks. Kamala Harris is on a socialist rampage. We'll get to all of that coming up. I know it's Tuesday, but there is just so much going on. I decided I could not resist doing a show. Stay tuned. Check back in for Wednesday. Still not sure about the Wednesday schedule. I will try my best. A lot of people have been asking, why did the Republicans wait until now to shut down the government and to fight for border wall funding? Why did Trump wait until now? The Republicans were in power of, of the, in control of the House for two years under Paul Ryan, and yet they never really had this fight. They kept delaying, kept stalling. What, what happened? Well, why did they drop the ball? And now that the Democrats are in charge, now suddenly the Republicans wake up. Now, the reason, there's an answer to this. Congress people, and Rush Limbaugh made this point, the Republicans in Congress, many of them don't want a wall. Yeah, even the ones who now are claiming, yeah, let's go, President Trump. We need to get border wall funding. Well, where were they for two years? The answer is they don't want a wall. Now, Trump, that's a whole different story. He obviously does want a wall. But Paul Ryan, remember, kept pushing off President Trump. Don't worry. Wait till the next budget. Let's not pick a fight now. And uh, there are different reasons why they don't want a wall. Some Republicans are worried about alienating Hispanic voters that live in their districts. Uh, many Republicans think it'll hurt the economy, that if you prevent illegals from crossing the border, there are a lot of businesses that even lobby these politicians saying if there's a wall, they're going to lose a steady stream of illegal workers. These people come to the United States. They work below minimum wage. They do a lot of menial jobs that a lot of Americans don't want to do. So they actually benefit a lot of companies. Now, that becomes a very interesting debate, you know, but uh, that's one of the reasons. Also, some Republicans, they just want Trump to lose. They don't like the fact that Trump has waged war on the establishment. A lot of the moderate Republicans, they're not going to admit this because now that Trump has become so popular and way more successful than they ever imagined, they pretend to support him, but they really sabotaged him on this. So now why did, why now are they fighting? Because now they, they know Pelosi's doing their dirty work. So they essentially get a win-win. They say, we want a wall. We're pro-Trump. And they get their Republican conservative bases all riled up. And at the same time, Pelosi is sabotaging the wall. So they're not going to have the wall, which they really don't want anyway. So they waited until now. You'll see politicians do this all the time. They won't fight for things while they're in power because they don't really want those things to pass and succeed. But then once they're out of power, then suddenly they're screaming and yelling. Look at the Democrats with gun control. Case in point, you know, they blame Trump for gun control. While they were passing Obamacare, they were in control of everything back under Obama, the beginning of his term, first term, and they didn't pass a single piece of gun control legislation. Now, as far as President Trump himself, Paul Ryan really sandbagged him, and Trump blames Paul Ryan for this now. The first year, Ryan kept pushing him off. This was documented. You may remember this. And he said, listen, Mr. President, don't pick a fight now. And he always blamed the Senate. We need 60 votes in the Senate. The Democrats aren't going to go for it. And he said, listen, we want to cut taxes. We want to repeal Obamacare. So he convinced President Trump, listen, let's not kill our momentum by picking a fight right now that could really, you know, cause dis discord and disarray in the government. Let's pass all the things we want to pass and we'll push it off. So he, so he had Trump keep signing budgets into law that did not contain border wall funding and Trump pushed him. What about my wall? And Paul Ryan said, don't worry, we'll get there, we'll get there. Now, you know, the second year, th then already the clock is ticking. And at that point, Trump kept pushing and Paul Ryan, very interesting. Again, he kept pushing him off and he said, listen, 
It's an election year. We, we, we want to make sure that we stay in control of the House, of the Senate. So Paul Ryan convinced President Trump in his second year that it would do damage to the election, to the Republicans in, in the election, in the midterms, if they had a fight and shut down the government uh, over border wall funding. So if you remember, it's really fascinating because last October, a month before the election, the government was set to shut down. They needed a new budget. And Trump said, we've got to fight for the border wall. This is our, this may be our last chance. And Paul Ryan said, we, we're only a month out of the midterms. If we shut down the government now, that's going to crush the Republicans in the midterms. And he actually, so what they did was they voted on a temporary budget that kept the government funded only through December 7th, just a few weeks after the midterm elections, because Ryan convinced President Trump that it would do damage to the Republicans if they had a shutdown fight over border wall funding right before the election. That's the conventional wisdom. Now, I told you at the time, I said, I think if they don't have border wall funding, that's going to actually hurt the Republicans more than if there were a shutdown. And look what happened. Yes, the Republicans won the Senate by a few seats, but they lost the House big time. You know, not as bad as it could have been. It wasn't a bloodbath, but it wasn't pretty. And I said that, that the reason for that is probably because they didn't give Trump his border wall. A lot of voters out there blame their own Republican Congress people. I'm not saying they voted Democrat, but they may have stayed home and allowed the Democrats to come in and uh, elect their congressman, the, the Democrat congressman. Now, I understand that uh, in the Senate, the Republicans won. But again, that was in, in large part, that was a numbers game. And I think a lot of more pe a lot more people blamed the, the House of Representatives than the Senate because the budget border wall really starts for them. Anyway, that's the history. That is why it happened. It just kept getting stalled and delayed like, like everything in Washington. And really, Paul Ryan, in my opinion, sabotaged President Trump on this. All right, Democrats threatening to boycott Starbucks because Howard Schultz, former CEO, I guess he's still the chairman. He must still be involved in Starbucks. And I'm sure he owns a lot of shares in Starbucks. Anyway, he says he may run, very likely going to run, as a third-party candidate here in 2020. And this could do a lot more harm to the Democrat candidate, whoever he or she may be, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, bring it on. But uh, a lot of Democrats are very nervous about Howard Schultz because he is definitely viewed in the camp of the Democrats. And it being another Ross Perot type of deal, uh, he, of course, uh, took away a lot of votes from Bush and allowed Clinton to become president in 1992. How is this for democracy? Democrats threatening to boycott Starbucks because they don't like the fact that their former CEO is running for president. Here you have a businessman. He wants to run for president. He genuinely wants to help the country, whether you agree or disagree with him. Uh, you know, but this is he has every right as an American to run for president and help the country. But it doesn't suit their agenda. He uh, he he puts the Democrats at risk of losing this critical election in 2020. They've got to bring down Trump. That's their entire mission right now. They wake up in the morning and all they think about is how are we going to beat President Trump? So they threaten to boycott Starbucks. Now, Starbucks has tens of thousands of employees who will suffer. They're holding the Starbucks employees hostage here, right? I mean, what are they really doing? They're going to hurt somebody's private business because they don't like the fact that he's going to run for president. And that is going to interfere with their own personal agenda. I mean, think about that, you know. Meanwhile, the Democrats are considering putting up a primary challenger against uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, we have a while here 
until she is up for re-election in 2020. But they're considering a primary challenger, Ocasio-Cortez. She's been making a lot of waves, making a lot of enemies, been very outspoken against the Democrat establishment. Remember, she sat in on protests in Nancy Pelosi's office, and she's been very, very harsh and disrespectful of the Democrat Party establishment. They're not radical enough for her. That's really what it is. They're too moderate. So, this is causing a lot of discord in the Democrat Party, which is great. You know, keep it coming. And the establishment folks they, in either party, by the way, the Republicans, too, they despise anybody who threatens their power. They like to be respected. They like to, to keep in control, total control and, and be the captains of the Democrat or Republican Party ship. And anybody who threatens, you know, by kind of uh, crossing over a certain invisible line and threatening their power and speaking out against the establishment leadership, they don't like that at all. They don't appreciate that. Now, and that's, by the way, why a lot of establishment Republicans like Jeff Flake dislike President Trump because he did something similar. Now, they're very different, as I keep saying, but there are certain comparisons. In fact, there was a story in the New York Post recently comparing Ocasio-Cortez's tactics of speaking out against the establishment, against the swamp, to, to, to President Trump. Now, look at the hypocrisy here. Howard Schultz wants to run against a Republican, against a Republican president, and they boycott him uh, but because he doesn't suit the Democrat agenda. But then they're going to put up a candidate against their own party. Ocasio-Cortez is a Democrat. They're going to put up a Democrat, and not only is she any Democrat, but she has enormous popularity. She has a huge Twitter following, 2.3 million people. She is considered the face of the millennial Democrats. And, and, and the reason, and, and by the way, I think that that's extremely frightening. It's horrifying because she's so radical and so socialist. But you know, that, you know what? That's the monster the Democrat Party has created because it suits their agenda. Now they're going to bring down a Democrat. So it's all about control. It's all about their agenda. Total hypocrisy. It, it, no, nothing else matters except staying in control or regaining control because they're not in control. Follow us on Twitter. At the Politics Zone, at symbol T H E P O L I T I C S Z O N E, at the Politics Zone for all the latest politics updates throughout the day. Now, I've noticed amongst conservatives, there are two kinds of reactions from conservatives who disagree with President Trump here on reopening the government, ending the shutdown. Some conservatives are actually, and this is important, are actually abandoning ship. They're jumping ship. They're saying, Trump let us down. How, how could he do how could he not give us a border wall there's actually a conservative out there very popular who said President Trump lied to us for the last 18 months he's been promising us a wall and now he's not delivering on a wall and I really think that's outrageous then there's a second type and uh, you know th th this they're much more reasonable and they say listen we support President Trump completely 100 percent because he has rescued the Republican Party and he's been so conservative and he's kept so many promises. You know, I got a caller. Somebody says, I don't understand. Mr. Trump, uh, President Trump has kept more promises than any candidate, any president in history. I mean, look at the embassy move. You know, look at uh, look at what he's done on North Korea. L look at what he's done with the economy. I mean, there are just so many things that he has done uh, that, that he promised to do. And yet, you know, we understand the wall. If, if Trump came to me tomorrow and he said, listen. Listen, I, I know I can't get a wall. Uh, yeah, I underestimated how difficult Congress would be to deal with. Pelosi and Schumer, they used to be in favor of a wall when Obama wanted a wall. 
But now suddenly they flipped, you know, and he said, listen, I've kept everything I can keep. Congress, this is just beyond my control. Even the president of the United States has his limitations. But I'm doing everything else I promised I would do. The economy's great. The country's safer. We're going to protect the border as much as we can, not having a wall. You know, so uh, despite not having a wall, I would say that's understandable. He's still infinitely better. He's still light years better than anybody the Democrats could put up and probably than a lot of Republican, other Republican presidents would be. So I'm fine with that, you know. So, uh, but it's just interesting to see how there are actually conservatives out there who this issue is so crucial to them that they're actually willing to throw Trump under the bus. All right, Kamala Harris, she has come out with more of her radical policies. And look, I know she was a moderate uh, when she was attorney general of California, but this is what happens. There's such a large pack of candidates here in the primaries for the the Democrat nomination 2020 that the only way they're going to stand out is use the Bernie Sanders approach from 2016 and just be more radical than the next guy or, or girl. That's the uh, the only approach here that they think is going to work. Now, maybe some of them will be more moderate. Joe Biden will probably come out as more moderate. But that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to really get the the passionate base on the left. And they figure if they can gain popularity that way, that's the ticket to winning in the primary. So you're going to see a lot of this from these Democrat candidates sort of folding all over each other, trying to outdo the next one in their radical socialist policies and platform. So she now, Kamala Harris, has come out endorsing Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal. This is the anti-business environmental program. And, you know, it's going to keep the world from ending in 12 years. But this is a very, very radical program here, environmental program that Ocasio-Cortez has been supporting, the Green New Deal. Kamala Harris says she supports it. Kamala Harris says there's no place in civil society for semi-automatic handguns. All right. That's not surprising considering she's a Democrat. Uh, she also says that if you that, that she totally wants to abolish uh, health insurance, private, any private health insurance company. She wants Medicare for all, and essentially all health insurance will be government-funded. We know how well that has worked in other countries uh, where they've implemented that. And I know Israel has something similar, you know, but Israel, as far as I'm aware, is the exception, and there are reasons for that, but many countries such as Canada and other countries in Europe, where they have a single-payer health care system, it, it can often be a disaster. She says, even if you're happy with your health insurance, under her, if she gets her way, you're going to lose it because she believes that all health insurance should be government-controlled. And, uh, you know, as I said, uh, you know, Kamala Harris, she was a moderate, and maybe she'll go back to being a moderate. Maybe if she wins the nomination, that's what they try to do because to win uh, uh, the general election, you're actually much better off being a moderate because then you'll get, generally, you'll get the extremists in your party, but then you'll also get the swing voters. Whereas if you're too extreme, you won't get the swing voters. So they try to be as radical as they can in the primary. This happens very often. And then in the general election, suddenly they'll shift back. So we'll keep an eye on all of that. Uh, Joe and Mika, they host the show on Sheker NBC, MSNBC, Sheker NBC. They host the morning show and it seems that their show, and Rush Limbaugh pointed this out, and Fox News as well, they, they their show is now being taped from Florida. It's been discovered. They set up a studio in Florida. They used to be in Washington, D.C., and it's been a big mystery. Nobody's been able to figure out. They tried to cover up the fact they're in Florida, but you know they couldn't do that. It's been exposed, 
And the question is why, and they're claiming that they want to be there to be with their elderly parents, but Fox News says that it's actually for tax purposes. Even though they're extremely liberal, they want to take advantage. They estimate Joe Scarborough is paying half a million dollars less in taxes because there is no state income tax in Florida, as opposed to Washington, D.C., where it's uh, very high. So there you go. We have, once again, liberals moving to a red state, or Florida's close to a red state, at least their policies are red state policies, they don't have income tax, they're doing it to save money on taxes. Look at that hypocrisy. And by the way, they're they're wrecking states like Florida and Texas. What happens is these rich liberals will move out of blue states into red states because they want the tax break. See, you could tax anybody you want, just just don't tax me. If I'm a liberal, I'm pro-taxes, unless you're doing it to me. And... um, then what they do is they vote Democrat and they turn these red states blue. So, you know, you have this really close election here between Ron DeSantis and Andrew Gillum in Florida. Andrew Gillum's a socialist. That Even in Florida, that, that election never should have been close. But a lot of these liberals move down to Florida to avoid state taxes. Then they turn these states blue and then they move on to a different state. All right, Elizabeth Warren, she's upset. She tweeted against an owner of a football, an NFL team, the Washington Redskins. She doesn't like their name either. They're Redskins. They're offensive to her people. Pocahontas, right? But this owner bought a $100 million yacht. So she says, well, if he can buy a $100 million yacht, then he can certainly pay my ultra-millionaire tax to help the millions of yachtless Americans struggling with student loan debt. That was her tweet. She has this ultra-millionaire tax that she's proposing. Vote for me. I'm going to tax you. I'm going to raise taxes. Vote for me. You know, But uh, the Democrats figured out. They don't say they're going to raise taxes. They're going to just tax the rich. And they know their Democrat voters are anything but rich, So, for the most part at least. So uh, Elizabeth Warren has this ultra-millionaire tax and uh, this outrageous tax that she w- wants to implement if, if she's elected president, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon. So that was her tweet. She says, this guy can afford to help yachtless Americans who are struggling with student loan debt. Now, to be offended by a wealthy person buying a $100 million yacht, number one, it actually helps the economy and creates a lot of jobs when you buy a $100 million yacht. You need people to work for the yacht company. People manufacture the materials that are used to build the yacht. Then they assemble the yacht. You need people to repair and maintain the yacht. He may have a yacht chauffeur. I have no idea. But things like expensive yachts are beneficial to the economy. So Elizabeth Warren clearly missing that. She's going to take money away from this guy. And that money is actually being used to boost the economy. Number two, though, more fundamentally, even if it didn't help the economy, wealthy people have a right to keep their money. Democrats like Elizabeth Warren don't understand this. See, to them, somebody makes money, their instinctive reaction is, oh, wow, he can afford to pay for somebody else's stuff. He doesn't have a right to keep his money. Ocasio-Cortez said it's immoral to have billionaires in the United States when there are people who don't have health care coverage. So they immediately, this is like their instinct. Wow, he has money. Take away his money. Hey, guys, we have more free stuff because some entrepreneur just made a lot of money. Why should we let him buy a yacht? And this is the absurdity. All right, I'll get to a couple of uh, voicemails here. A listener uh, asked me, I mentioned this high school coach uh, who was fired because he prayed with the students. So now uh, one person said that he was uh, maybe infringing on people's freedom of religion because uh, did he force students 
Did he force his, the team members to, to pray with him, even if they didn't believe in his religion? And I just want to clarify, as far as I could tell, as I understand the story, he didn't force anybody to do anything. There were students there who were interested in praying, and he prayed with them on the field. So the whole thing was voluntary, so he wasn't infringing on anybody's freedom of religion. But somebody else made the point, the school should have a right to fire him because if they feel that he's doing something to, that, that leads to discord, whether whatever their agenda is, uh, but if this could lead to potential discord, and he's an employee, they have a right to fire him. And somebody compared it to the same caller compared it to NFL players kneeling for the national anthem. And the owners uh, of the NFL teams actually have a right uh, to stop them from kneeling during the national anthem. Great point. So I want to make the make this, this very clear. Uh, the Supreme Court, the reason they didn't accept the case is because there are two sides to the story. One side is that he was doing this after hours, he was doing it, even though it was on the field, it wasn't in the capacity of his job as a high school coach, and therefore, uh, he had every right to do it. There is The school is saying that, no, he was doing this as an, a school employee. He was doing this uh, as while, while he was fulfilling his duties of a high school coach. That makes a very big difference. So, you're right. If, in fact, he's doing this as a school employee, saying, hey, kids, let's pray now, then that's a great point. Uh, the school has every right, just like the NFL players, because if I don't employ, let's say I go to a company and I do something that uh, harms the company. You know, I work for a store and I say things that are offensive to the customers. Obviously, the company's allowed to fire me because I'm hurting their business. But on your free time, if the NFL players want to go to some other game and be sit there in the stands and kneel down, they have every right to do that. But if you're my employee, it's maybe disgraceful, by the way, but uh, the team has no right to say anything about it. But if you're my employee, you can't. So that was the part of the debate here. So my point was that, you know, the school's agenda to me is clearly anti-religion. And uh, the, anytime they see somebody, you know, they look at it like a disease. So that was my point, And I think that's true either way. But legally speaking, it's a great point if he was, in fact, uh, on duty during that time, uh, then the school has every right to fire him. And similarly, somebody asked me, you know, what if the coach had been Muslim and had pulled out a rug and was praying, you know, uh, his, his, his Islamic Muslim prayers, you know, would I still want to protect his rights? And this becomes a very, very kind of intriguing debate, not a simple debate. You know, our first reaction when we see Muslims pull out their little rug and pray, and I've seen this, I've seen this uh, happen in the street, you know, uh, where somebody will work as a as a vendor, a Muslim vendor. I've seen this and actually go right next to their little uh, vending area, pull out a rug and uh, kneel down and pray. And our first reaction is, oh, listen, we equate we equate uh, Islam with, you know, radical extremism for good reason. And, uh, you know, we look at them as being hateful. I don't know if they all are, but that's certainly the impression that we have. So we automatically want to stop it. But you know what? The same people who want to stop Muslims from praying want to stop Jews uh, from, from practicing their religion. So I think it's a very interesting thing to think about the ramifications. All right, that's going to do it on this Tuesday, and we will see you next time.